0: Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about sales performance frameworks for individual contributors as well as sales leaders. How they're a key component of educating sales professionals, assessing their performance, targeting areas for improvement, and setting up the team and the exec for success. To help us with this topic, we have with us Brian Higgins, sales performance coach, consultant, and faculty member at the Lead School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder. Brian, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Thank you, Chad. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to having the conversation with you.
0: So before we begin, I've got to ask kind of an the little off the wall question. Nobody that I know uh, when they were little was playing with their fire trucks or playing out in the backyard and said, I'm going to go into sales when I get older. So I'm kind of curious <laughs> how you arrived at this point in your career, not only a fascination for sales and a passion for it, but as a faculty member at a well-respected institution uh, and as well as a focus on sales frameworks, can you kind of help us understand how we arrived at this point?
1: Yeah, you know, I was like I was like most kids coming out of school, Chad, where I wanted to do a lot of things with my life, uh, things that I thought were going to be very important. And um, sales was nowhere on the list. <laughs> and, you know, it was only as a result of me finding that, you know, those were some of the few opportunities that were being offered to me as I was coming out of school that I ended up there. And luckily, luckily, for for me, it worked out. You know, I, I found that sales was something very different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, when I was still sitting in the classroom, I, I joined an organization that was selling uh, shared computer services to hospitals and medical centers. Uh, the sales team was led by a number of ex-IBMers and ex-Xerox executives who believed in the role and value of salespeople. And wanted to invest in them, their their education and their training, and you know wanted to provide good coaching. And you know those those first two or three years in sales were just eye opening for me. And you know not only did I receive some great uh, training and some great education, and learned an awful lot about businesses and about people. But I found out that I was, you know, a pretty, pretty good at what it took uh, to be successful at selling, and and at that point I I got the bug, and I just I I wanted to be the best of the best, um, year in and year out, and um, became kind of a a junkie for all of what was being written about you know professional selling at the time, and I was always the, the first one to pick up the new book on the subject and you know, uh, parlayed that uh, initial experience into higher levels of responsibility in sales, um, joined some, some very interesting um, entrepreneurial uh, companies where I was responsible for developing the go-to-market strategy for these products and, um, you know, really invested heavily in building the teams that were gonna take our products into those markets and um, made sure that they were always being challenged to do it better. And that served me very, very well um, for about 30 years and got to the point where I was ready to to maybe slow down a little bit. I started doing some consulting work for some investment bankers who wanted to make a market in the space that I knew. Uh, They would rely on me to help them do due diligence on companies that they were targeting as well as to help those companies that were already in the portfolio, particularly where sales and sales management was concerned. And uh, I I really enjoyed that. I got to see a lot of different kinds of companies and a lot of different spaces. But it got to the point where I began running into situations where the companies had recruited college kids out of the classroom to go and do their selling for them. And the kids didn't have the benefit of any kind of formalized education around sales, and the companies were not in a position to provide it to them either. And the and the kids were failing. They they and and they weren't they weren't just failing; or weren't making their number. But you know they weren't feeling good about themselves. And it was at that point in time that I decided that I was going to try to repurpose my consulting practice to focus more on college-aged students to get. The them sooner and to make sure that we didn't lose them to other professionals when they had what it took to be good at selling, but then to also kind of get them propped up and ready to go into that, that first sales job. And I um, wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do that, but I live here in Boulder, Colorado. The University of Colorado is right down the street. You know, we go to all the games, we go to all the concerts. And so as a, as a part of my my due diligence, if you will, or my understanding better of where and how I could go, I went down to the university and I knocked on the door. And I said, here's an idea I have for your business school. And I think you ought to take advantage of my willingness to do it for you. And, you know, they gave me a little bit of a funny look, you know, kind <laughs> of, uh, this is a little bit unusual for the way that courses start here. But I was able to hit it off pretty well with the um, the assistant dean down there. And he said, let's do it. I'll give you a shot. And that was three years ago. And uh, we started with a, what we call the Fundamentals of Professional Selling course, uh, teaching it to 35 students that signed up at the last minute. And, you know, we're getting ready to go into our fourth year. We're teaching it to about 250 students a year. And it's become very very popular inside the business school we've um we've added on to that with a sales management course uh, which examines sales through the eyes of the of the sales leader or the or the company and now we're getting ready to take it into the uh, graduate program so it's I don't know if that gives you what you asked for. You asked me what time it was. I told you how to build a watch. But that's-
0: <laughs> no, that was perfect. That's perfect. I, it's an interesting evolution, right? Because it wasn't up until the last few years that there'd been any, as far as we were aware, those of us that are in sales, they before I was doing this, I was, I was running teams. We always used to joke that there was no, you know, truly professional uh, education for the sales profession. So to see the evolution of it is is excellent, uh, and I applaud you for it because I know having been that executive looking for good talent, uh, if they have that foundational stuff coming in the door, then they're going to be a lot better set up for success. So excellent answer to the question. Greatly I appreciate it. So we were talking about sales frameworks, sales performance frameworks today. This is going to seem like, especially probably for our audience, kind of an obvious or odd question, but I really want to start with a definition of how you, as you're talking to students and working in the class, how you kind of help set the stage for what a performance framework actually is uh, and how they might apply it. So we have that context as we go through the conversation
1: yeah for me, a a framework is is an outline. A framework is is something that we can refer to when when we're thinking about any subject holistically. Um, and you know I'll point to some of the sales methodologies that are out there. I know you're familiar with uh, with a few of them yourself, but you know if you were to to talk to someone in the executive ranks of a company, Uh, about sales process, uh, they probably wouldn't know what it is that you're talking about. But if you could lay it out for them to include these five or six steps or phases um, or elements, then they would have some context that they could refer to and you you could begin to have a more meaningful conversation with them about the subject of sales process. you know uh, a doctor uh, when asked about you know the health of, uh, of a human being uh, it's a that's a big broad question but that doctor would probably begin by referring to the 11 or 12 um, body systems that um, makes the the human machine work and would begin talking about it that way if you were to ask a golfer you know why are why is Tiger Woods, as good as he is, and there are still guys that are trying to get onto the tour, they probably break it down using some kind of a framework or some some method of organization that begins with how how far they drive the ball, how accurately they drive the ball, how many greens in regulation they make. So so for me, you know, a framework is, is, is all about a way to organize a subject so that we can talk intelligently about it and that we can refer to it for lots of different reasons. Does that does that resonate with
0: you, Chad? Yeah, perfect. I mean, it basically helps provide the context and focus for our conversation so everybody has some level of shared understanding, some level of shared common language that allows them to not spend time in miscommunication, but really focus on the meat of the issue, right? So they're all within the same. Uh, same level of understanding, right? And the reason I ask for that definition is that I, I run into a lot of executives, a lot of organizations that don't have that, and it and it shows up, it it rears its ugly head in different ways throughout the organization. And when we started prepping for this, and you mentioned you wanted to focus on performance frameworks, I got extremely excited, right? Because everybody's always looking for better ways to. Uh, understand how sales reps are performing to help coach them to enable them uh, but you mentioned in one of the emails I went back forth that, from your perception it's the critical first step fundamental first step I believe is what you said in creating high-performing sales organizations and I want to dive into that a little bit so from your perspective why is that performance framework so important and then also why do we actually see so few companies making the investment in it especially on the sales side Well, there's a lot there, Chad. I'm trying. I probably should break those questions up a little bit. Let's start with why. So, why so important? Why is that framework uh, so important to an organization?
1: I, I think because there are so many different elements um, of a high-performing salesperson or a high-performing sales organization that if that if we don't make some effort at organizing all of those things that, you know, we could find ourselves thrashing around um, in a very unproductive way. And, you know, if if I kind of refer back to the point I made to you earlier about, you know, 40 years ago, I became a junkie for all that was being written um, and talked about sales performance. You know, I was absorbing it, but I wasn't organizing it very well. I wasn't putting it into... You know any kind of a, of a bookshelf, if you will, for myself. And I probably would have been been better able to not only absorb but then to to make good use of all of that material that I was absorbing if I had had some kind of a framework that I could plug it into. And so I, th- I think it is fundamental because without it, we're just we're 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 just hitting you know we're we're uh, swinging, hoping that we hit something. And I think we need to be a little bit more deliberate in our approach to to improving our performance, again, both as individuals and as organizations.
0: And so when it comes to, you know, the organization itself, right? The, to me, it feels um, it feels like a very fundamental concept, right? To have that common language. Now, everybody out there knows I'm biased, obviously, because of what I do for a living these days. Um, I install those types of frameworks and, and those methodologies. But um, it seems so fundamental, yet we see so many organizations that um, look at it more as a checkbox than a journey, right? And I'm kind of curious... You know, from your experience, if you've seen, you know, why why is it that 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 foundational making sure that foundation is set extremely solid inside of an organization doesn't happen as often as perhaps it should? Because I don't think the majority of people,
1: both inside of our profession as well as those that are looking in from the outside, you know, understand that you know it that it's not just it doesn't come naturally. You know and and maybe you've had this experience as well where you know you've asked people, well, what's the key to what's the key to being a great salesperson? and And typically, they'll give you an answer of of one or two things. They might say, well, it's they're great listeners, or they're great presenters, or they've got a tremendous amount of charisma, right? But you and I both know that there's so much more that goes into being (laughs) a high-performing salesperson than just those three or four things. And and the same is true when it comes to sales management. Typically, what we do is we take those high-performing salespeople and we put them into sales management roles, uh, assuming that they'll know what to do, that they'll just figure it all out. And that high-performing salesperson gets there and doesn't really have a framework for him or herself and just begins kind of feeling their way. And they don't realize that if they had a map that they could follow. If they had, I think a checklist is a good thing, you know, uh, when you're getting ready to build and manage a high performing organization, all the things that go into it. Um, so I don't know if I've answered the question, but I, I think a lot of it is just not realizing that that high performance, either on the individual level or at the organizational level, lends itself to a map, lends itself to a plan.
0: Yeah, and, and without that, uh, I see a lot of the people floundering. Right? A lot of the people, uh, you know, organizations as a whole, it becomes that, yeah, I think it lends itself to, I, at the latest stat I saw, and I think it came from serious decisions, don't hold me to that, uh, was something like the average tenure of a sales executive these days is like 18, 17 to 18 months, right? And it's because I think a lot of what you just pointed out, you take your ultra high performers that have mastered or or are mastering sales as an individual contributor, you put them in a management position. That's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just not great. Ultra high performers don't necessarily make great managers. And then you start to see this churn. It's like, oh, sales, especially when I talk to some CFOs, uh, it's just salespeople will just, you know, if these guys don't hit their numbers, we'll find some that will rather than understanding the discipline behind it, the focus and commitment that it takes. And so when you've been out there working with students or other companies, can you kind of compare and contrast what you would expect to see from a team that's using a performance framework versus maybe a team that's not as focused on it or not leveraging one?
1: Well, you know, there's <clears throat> typically one that has um, more of a um, a tangible plan in place is going to correlate to high performance. I, I, I get a little nervous when I start showing correlations between the use of a of a performance framework and high performance or the use of a sales process and high performance because what you'll find is that the companies that are, that are doing one of these things are doing all of those things and that they therefore are going to, um, they're going to perform at a much higher level. Where, where I think the the evidence of the value of a performance framework at the organizational level is concerned is that they're going to have a much more stable machine in place year after year and and what i would look to for evidence of a of stability in the machine is that your turnover is going to be less among the individual contributors that the variance between the high performers the core performers and the low performers is is going to be is is going to be less that um you know you are going to see uh, a consistency in the career paths of the individuals that move into leadership positions. Their forecasts are gonna be more accurate. Their use of technology is gonna be more effective. You know, those are the, I see more stability in the machine is, is kind of the way that I refer to it at the organizational level. And then I think that, that the same could be said of performance at the individual level. That the people that have really committed themselves to improving in all aspects of their performance, using a framework to guide them with, are the ones that are going to be at club year after year after year, where those that don't might be there one out of every four or five years. So that's that's what I would look to when I'm when I'm looking for evidence or I'm looking for the results of. Either individuals or organizations that have have relied on a performance framework to help them in their journey,
0: and so that's kind of like taking the temperature of, of an entire team. So let's go a little bit, you know, a little bit more macro or, excuse me, micro on it, and talk about assessment. Assessment was always, um, from my experience, cannot can be a challenge uh, in sales organizations, largely because of the types of personalities that are often attracted to sales. Um, Bigger than life, sometimes you know all of those things you mentioned. Charisma, uh, highly emotionally sensitive is the way that I used to <laughs> used to say it for my teams. But do the frameworks from your perspective provide easier tools to enable management to truly assess uh, and coach sales executives rather than, and get around that kind of the emotional response, right? Get the emotion out of it and keep it more. Uh, rational, linear, focused on, okay, here's our framework, here's our plan, here's where you are against it. Um, Can you kind of illustrate a little bit how that might look in an organization if a manager was effectively using a framework to provide that assessment?
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I I recommend a, a framework to either a leader that wants to use it to coach his individual contributors with, or when I use it to coach individual contributors on my own, I kind of start with this idea that there are really five basic elements to sales performance at the individual level. And those five elements are knowledge, skill, experience, behavior, and intangibles. You know, it's probably something that lends itself to a graphic, Chad, but you're just going to have to kind (laughs) of imagine what it is that I'm talking about. And and, And the knowledge that's required to sell uh, automobiles is going to be way different than the knowledge that's required to sell sales education and training services or uh, payroll systems or, you know, Boeing 747s or whatever. But typically it's, you know, it's it's having a, a good uh, knowledge of of business practices in general, you know, particularly in the B2B world, which I think is where most of your audience is, you sort of need to understand the fundamentals of business. You need to understand how to read a um, an income statement, a balance sheet, you know, statement of cash flows. Uh, those are all very, very helpful um, to then being able to understand the industry and the companies that are in the industry that you're selling to. So, industry knowledge would be second. Product knowledge obviously uh, is is um, goes without saying. You need to be knowledgeable of the products and the services that you're offering. You know, a fourth area of knowledge might have to do with your competition. And those are just the first four to come to mind. There are probably another five or six categories of knowledge that a sales rep might want to dedicate him or her- herself to in an effort to become high performing. Then you move into skills. And, and again, the list of potential skills that would go into this performance framework vary from role to role, product to product market to market, but it might be discovery, you know, that, that you really need to be good with the questions you ask and the way that you um, understand the situation, your analysis of what you um, are able to discover, um, and then the way in which you are able to present that back. So presentation skills, negotiation skills, listening skills, the list could go on and on. It can't be It can't be um, so much that you can't, you know, you can't try to boil the ocean here. You got to pick the five or the six that are really, really important to you in the role that you're in. But I would put skills as a second category. A third category would be experience. And, you know, that you might say, well, you can't teach experience. And no, you can't, but you can sure do a lot more to get yourself the experience you need. So, you know, going to the conferences, networking with um, various organizations, putting yourself into situations internally that you could easily um, forego, you know, if you didn't make it a point to get there. So, you know, building out that inventory experience is really, really important. And then we get into more of the, uh, what I would call the uh, intrinsic capabilities i start with behaviors you know when i think about behaviors i think of covey and the seven ha- habits of highly successful people but you know are you, you organized are you practiced are you prepared are you resourceful right those kinds of things and then finally the intangibles which have to do mostly with the individual's personality are they, are they driven are they empathetic are they curious and are they as driven as they could be are they as empathetic as they could be And so that becomes my framework. And I start there. And, you know, it might be a different, we might fill this framework out differently for you and what you're doing than we would for, you know, someone that's in their first year of selling, you know, real estate. But this is now what I refer to when I'm thinking about improving myself. And, you know, am I as good this year as i was last year where my knowledge is concerned am i as good this year as i was last year where my skills are concerned you know am i am i at a deficit in certain aspects of my experience and if i am am i going to do something about it if i see a book you know called the seven habits of highly successful people am i going to pick it up and read it because it's going to contribute to me better understanding how to behave on an hour by hour day by day week by week month by month basis. So that's where I think the value of, of the framework is, or maybe the example of the framework where the individual is concerned. And then you can do the same thing with organizations.
0: Excellent. And so, okay, this is great. Is that something, knowledge, skills, experience, behavior, intangibles, is that something you have in a graphic or is it, was it not yet? I do.
1: I do. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um basic you know it's it's using some kind of a powerpoint table but i do have it and i can make it available to you and others
0: yeah that would that would be amazing um that's great that's one of the most concise ways i've heard that explained. i mean there's all types of you know assessments out there for sales professionals you know objective management group and disc and all of those types of things that are out there that's probably the most concise uh and focus that that i've heard it which brings me kind of my next question and you've been doing sales for a while and and now on the faculty road for three years have you noticed and this kind of goes to uh, i hear a lot of sales executives that have been around a long time struggling to understand um, the Millennials that are coming up into sales. sales so I'm kind of curious as you've gone through your progression of, of your sales career you know what kind of changes have you seen from when you were you know running teams or or an individual contributor to the types of students that you maybe you're dealing with today uh, on campus what kind of changes have you seen and, and what might have or might not have surprised you about that evolution
1: so, um, I'm, I'm sure that um, the student population at every school is different, and so I can only speak to the student population that I've observed at the University of Colorado. Um, and, I w- and then I would even go further than that to say that probably the students in the business school are different than the, the students in the engineering school or <laughs> the law school or whatever. And so, I'm careful not to go too far, far with, with, with my profiling. of of this generation of students. Um, That being said, um, I would say that the students at the University of Colorado exhibit less um, characteristics of the stereotypical millennial than I expected. Um, I think that uh, for the most part, the students that I've had are extremely uh, respectful. They're extremely ambitious um, and are pretty resourceful. Um, all that being said though, I think that, you know, they're from the employer's perspective, what they need to be ready for with millennials coming in is that the millennial generation has, has had a lot, uh, dropped at their doorstep for them. And, you know, this might conjure up this idea, well, that's because we had parents that were, that were too, they were hovering. Right. (laughs) And and I think, think, you know, being the parents of some millennials, I'll say guilty as charged. (laughs) We have done that. But it's also the fact that so much technology is available to them today that, you know, they have, they don't have to go very far to find something, right. It's as, it's as far as your keyboard to get information about almost anything. And it doesn't take long and so there's this um there's this issue of instant gratification and again i don't I don't mean for that to sound negative, but you know if they't if they don't get it right away, then frustration begins to set in right and um I just think we need to understand that that's the that's the world that they've grown up in where it's pretty immediately available um the one thing that i that I have seen. Um, and, and I've seen this in not just millennials, but the parents of millennials, is this, um, this multitasking thing, this attention deficit um, <laughs> that occurs. And I, I think there, are, you know, we do need to do some extra work to, to get people to put things away, whether it's a device or a report or um, a television show or whatever, and, and just focus on the task at hand. Um, and, I, and I've seen that in, you know, 40, 50 and 60 year olds, as much as I've seen it in 15, 20 and 25 years old, 25 year olds is that, you know, we, we there's a lot more out there that's distracting us than there used to be. And we need, we need to make a concerted effort to get focused and stay focused um, on what it is that we're doing.
0: And how do you, and so how do you, as a, as now, as a, as a professor, how do you instill, I mean, one of the things that I constantly am having conversations about with sales reps of of all ages, as you pointed out, uh, is that sales is a discipline and it requires focus and commitment, just like anything else. It's not a, You know, it might have been the wild, wild west at some point, but in order to compete today against all of the distractions that we have in the technological world that we live in, to capture attention and provide value to understand the individuals that we're selling to, that requires a level of discipline and focus. uh, That's kind of the opposite side of that coin to the you know multitasking challenge that you're seeing. So, I'm curious, as a professor and an educator, how do you help instill that or inspire that in your in your students?
1: You know, I I, um. I think that the answer lies in, um, in shorter time segments. So as an example, in, in the courses I teach, the students have a responsibility for coming to the classroom prepared to have the discussion. And they get prepared by you know, either reading some material that I've given them or by looking at some videos that I've given them. I don't ask them to spend an hour or two doing it, I ask them to spend 20 or 25 minutes to do it. So I I try to shorten the span of time that I'm asking them to focus, but then I'm asking them to do it more regularly, right? So that's the way that that I've kind of broken it down. And then I've given them some motivation to do it by giving them a quiz, Uh, before we begin the classroom discussion, and the quiz has points associated with it. And then as a result of them kind of coming in, knowing that they're going to be tested, they're better prepared, they can then have a conversation, and they know that I'm going to call on them, and they know that they can't have their devices open while we're having the classroom discussion. And so I I just kind of, I try to get it to where I deal with it in smaller pieces. Um, as opposed to letting them wander off, get distracted by not paying attention to it for some longer period. Does
0: that make sense? Yes. Yeah. No, perfect. Perfect sense. Perfect sense. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. You know, you're, Uh, faculty, again, highly respected university. You've got a a long career uh, in sales. There are going to be a lot of people out there uh, that want to get your attention. And this is one of the challenges that everybody in sales has today. How do you capture someone's attention, build credibility, and deliver value uh, when you don't have a pre-existing relationship or a referral? So I always like to ask all of our guests, how would someone pull that off with you? If they wanted to get in front of you and talk about something, I mean, you walked down to the University door and knocked on the door and, and started talking to the assistant dean. But somebody who doesn't know you, um, what's the most effective way for them to capture your attention, build that credibility, and capture some of your time?
1: Well, for me, I you know, I think if they show a healthy respect for me and my time um, from the outset, that they're gonna have a better chance than if they just come into the conversation cold assuming that I'm going to be interested in what it is that they want to talk about. And I, I think a lot of salespeople, both those that are new as well as those that have been doing it for a while, you know, make an assumption that I understand, you know, why I should be talking to them. And so I'm, I look at the outset for, you know, signals of, of respect, you know, for me and my time and what I do and don't know. Um, and and if they can do that in the first 30 to 45 seconds, then good chance they're going to get another 30 to 45 seconds. And if they can get another 30 to 45 seconds, then there's a good chance that I'm going to, that I'm going to have a meaningful conversation with them for as long as it takes. So, so I look for, for those things um, before I look for anything else in the way of you know, substance uh, about the product or service that they have to offer.
0: Perfect. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened and applied it, uh, you believe would help them hit their targets, achieve their goals, be more successful, what would it be and why?
1: I tell them to understand what the framework for high performance looks like, map it for themselves, and then commit themselves to it.
0: Easy peasy. Understand the framework, <laughs> make it yours, and then map your, map your plan to it. I love it. Excellent. Perfect. Brian, if a listener's interested in talking more about the topics we touched on today, what's the best way to get in contact with you? So
1: I'm on LinkedIn, like so many of your um, listeners are, and you can go that way. You can also uh, email me directly at um, brian.higgins at colorado.edu. And, uh, both of those will get to my, uh, to my email box, uh, pretty quickly. Excellent.
0: Brian, I can't thank you enough for taking time and being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was
1: mine as well, Chad. Uh, I look forward to uh, to following your work, and uh, you know, would like to be helpful to you and and your colleagues if possible. So, so I'm I'm in. I'm on the team. If you need me,
0: <laughs> excellent. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. Please check us out at b 2 brevexeccom You know the drill. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Write us a review. Drop us suggestions on people you'd like to hear from. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success.